gathered together from deep within the Speed Force are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the fastest man alive, The Flash. The Flash Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Flash legend, featuring Jay Garrick, the Golden Age Flash, the Flash Fan Podcast, Flash in the Bronze Age, Wade Smash, a Flash Podcast, From Crisis to Crisis, a Wally West Flash Podcast, Flash Legacies, The New 52 Adventures of the Flash, Flash Forever Radio, and Radio Flash, brought to you by the Flash homepage. Join hosts John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Dave Walker, Dave Eunice, and co-host Scotty V. At thisisafakepromo.com. A scarlet costume ejects from his ring, and in a blur of motion, police scientist Barry Allen becomes... The Flash, world's fastest human. The Flash, whose speed enables him to vibrate through solid walls and conquer the barriers of time and space in the pursuit of evildoers. The Flash, Scarlet Speedster for Justice. Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to another thrilling episode of Flash in the Bronze Age, the best Bronze Age podcast you'll hear for the next hour or so. My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and before we get to this week's comic, I need to inform you that this episode is sponsored by InStock Trades. InStock Trades offers graphic novels, hardbacks, and trades at discounted prices. You can find them at InStockTrades.com, and if you place an order today, you'll get it faster than if you wait until tomorrow. So order now. Go ahead. Oh, wait. If you're on a highway and road runner goes beep beep, just step aside or you might end up in a heap. Road runner, road runner runs on the road all day. Even the coyote can't make him change his ways. Road runner, the coyote's after you. Road runner, if he catches you, you're through. Road runner, the coyote's after you. episode we're covering Flash 233, cover dated May 1975, with an on-sale date of February 25th, 1975, with a cover price of just 25 cents, a mere quarter, and a cover by Dick Giordano, with the, with Professor Zoom standing over what is supposed to be the lifeless body of the Flash, as he uses his own Flash ring to eject a Flash costume as Iris Allen returns home. And Professor Zoom says, Now that I've taken the Flash's life, I'll take his wife. The title of the story is The Deadly Secret of the Flash, written by Carrie Bates, penciled by Irv Novick, inked by Tex Blisdale, and edited by Julie Schwartz. 
The marriage of Iris and Barry Allen has been a solid and happy one, even though the husband leads a secret life as the Flash, fastest man alive. At least that was at least it was a happy match. Until the day Iris realized being a superhero's wife could be a living nightmare when she discovered the deadly secret of the Flash. Our story begins in the home of Barry and Iris Allen, where Barry can't find his watch. Fortunately, Iris finds it for him and tells him that he'd better use it so he'll be on time for all of the errands she's got lined up for him today. So they get in the car, along with Stacy Conwell, who, as we remember, will remember from last issue, is staying with them while she's going to Central City or Central State College. She's got a dentist appointment, so the Allens will drop her off along the way. But on their way, the expositional news network, copyright Michael Bailey, all rights reserved, breaks in on the radio with news of several freak tornadoes suddenly appearing outside of Central City. Normally, this would mean a job for the Flash, but. Stacy's in the car and doesn't know about Barry's secret. So moving at super speed, he runs off to a nearby clothing store, borrows a mannequin, places it in the road a little ways in front of the car, then returns to the car without either woman noticing his departure. When they come up to the man in the road, Barry checks on him and offers to stay with the man while Iris and Stacy go call a doctor. After they depart, Barry ejects his costume from his ring and heads out after the tornadoes. Several turns out to be three as he catches up to all three tornadoes on one farm, which is quite fortunate, really. At super speed, Flash takes care of them one at a time, running around them in the opposite direction at su- well, at super speed, that's what I said. Uh, running around them in the opposite direction that they are spinning to cancel them out. But, after taking care of the first two, Flash finds himself being drawn into the third one, and then being bombarded by energy bursts that numb him. That's when Professor Zoom reveals himself and monologues about how he's brought back Cosmospurs from the 25th century that are sapping his stamina and life and making it impossible for him to use his super speed and free himself. Leaving Flash to his fate, the tornado dissipates and Zoom runs off while three farmers come up to thank the Scarlet Speedster, but all they find is Flash's empty costume. Later, after Iris drops Stacy off at the dentist's office, the ENN interrupts the radio broadcast again with another news bulletin, this time reporting that the Flash is dead. But before Iris can really react to it, Barry shows up to show her that he's quite alright. After summarizing his battle with Zoom, he says he wants the world to think that the Flash is dead for a while in an effort to smoke out Zoom. But for now, it's time for the errands that Iris mentioned earlier. First up, Barry drops Iris off for two hours of shopping, but ends up returning to pick her up 26 minutes late. Next, he drops her off for a hair appointment, but returns 24 minutes late to pick her up from that. He does, however, remember to tell he does, however, remember to tell her that he likes her new hairdo. Unfortunately, unfortunately for him, she didn't change her hairdo. Picking up on this, she checks Barry's watch and sees that it's set for the correct time. When he denies ever touching the watch, she knows something's up, because when she found the watch earlier, she set it 25 minutes fast because she realized that Barry is generally 25 minutes late on average, and hoped that by setting his watch fast, it would keep him on time. Realizing there's no point in keeping up the charade any longer, Barry reveals himself to actually be Professor Zoom in Disguise. Next, he picks up a metal yardstick, twirling it at super speed, and heads towards Iris, saying that he loves her, and it was the, that love that made him kill the Flash. But before he can kill Iris, too, Zoom finds himself clocked by some kind of phantom punch. 
Iris looks around the room and sees nothing until the real Barry Allen stops vibrating and becomes visible. He explains that he saved himself from the Cosmospurs by vibrating into invisibility, but that the Cosmospur radiation prevented him from returning to normal, leaving him helpless to watch as Zoom basically took over his life for a few hours. Finally, he was able to use his fist to cast off enough vibrations to create a shock wave, which is what he used to knock Zoom out, just before the radiation finally wore off and he was able to return to normal again. And as the hero and his wife begin a newlywed-style makeout session, Stacy walks in, realizing that she has returned at the wrong time. Alright, my notes for this issue. Uh, first up, page two. Iris has a list of errands planned for Barry. First of all, I don't like it when my wife does that. Second, why isn't he complaining about it? He seems to have no problem having a list of errands. I'm going to come back to that in a few minutes. Page four. I love how heroes can borrow things without ever asking. Flash does this. Batman's done it. Green Lantern's done it. Superman's done it. They just borrow clothing or mannequins and then return it later, although we don't see that ever happen. Page six. We have an empty costume signaling the death of the Flash. Where have I seen that before? Hmm. Uh, anyway, page 7. So Iris and Stacy seem to have forgotten all about getting a doctor because Iris just drops off Stacy. I wonder how how Iris got out of that little conundrum since they really didn't need a doctor. Hmm. Uh, anyway, page 8. So Barry's list of errands was to keep himself busy and then pick up Iris? This must be why he wasn't complaining, because all he's got to do is drop her off and pick her up. Plus, how did Iris know it would take exactly two hours to complete her shopping? And also, how did she know exactly when she would be done with the hair appointment? See, I've done this with my wife. Unless she plans to only spend two hours shopping, she could take all day. And the hair appointment, even if you have an appointment, they could be behind, or there could... Yeah, you know, they could easily be running behind, especially late, later in the day, and we're at least probably after in the afternoon by this point. Um, yeah, they could easily be running behind, so him running late would... I don't know. It's one of those things. Plus, think about the fact that Iris is spending the day shopping and getting her hair done. I mean, thank goodness we're in the progressive 70s, and it's not like the Silver Age when girls cooked... Anyway, also on page 8, Zoom spent enough time with Iris to know that what her hair looked like before the whole hair appointment. So he should have noticed that it didn't change, but like most guys, it was a detail he didn't pay attention to. Uh, page 11. How come Barry's vibrations knocked him out of his Flash costume, but not out of his other clothes? I mean, generally, the costume stays with him when he vibrates in just about any other comic you see. Um, or, you know, we should have had, like, a naked berry with carefully placed items like branches and leaves and twigs and car doors blocking berries' unmentionables. Or, heck, he was vibrating. It could just be not there. I don't know. But I guess the code wouldn't allow it. Uh, overall, though, I thought this was a fun story. It's got a couple of loopholes, obviously, but I think... It really would have been better if it had had more room to be told. 
because uh, the story itself is only 11 pages to make sure there's room for the backup story. Um, it's definitely a simple tale, and it was interesting considering I was just rereading Flash Rebirth and the pre-Flashback Barry Allen title a couple days ago, uh, and of course Zoom is a big part of those stories as well, so it was weird to see him taken down after just a few pages here after those long multi-part stories. The art was good, though. Um, Novik and Blystel work pretty well together. I've seen Blystel inking other people, like uh, over in the Batman book. I think he inked Ernie Chua, or Ernie Chan, depending on how you want to say it, over there. And um, I know he's also, I believe he's inked over Kurt Swan in one of the Superman books. And it looks terrible. But it seems to blend in very well with Novik here, so I'm, I was pretty impressed. Alright, let's take a quick look at the ads for this issue. First up, we have the Hostess ad. Batman and the Mummy. And I guess I'm going to do all the parts because I'm by myself. So, <clears throat> we start off with Batman and Robin and Batman's going, The Mummy has captured the Professor and his beautiful daughter. And Robin's great, Cheops. I don't know what that is. Uh, Batman, and then of course Batman goes, they violated the tomb of his ancestors and he wants revenge. I'll roll this two-ton stone, they'll never get out alive. So Robin goes, even my special mummy ray gun won't stop him. Well, after all, you can't kill a mummy. Right, he's already dead, so what'll we do? We've got to have a secret weapon. I've got it! What is it? We've got to act fast. We'll lure him away with an offer he can't resist. Seems I've heard that somewhere before. What's that? And then we move to later, and the mummy is... Mmm, delicious hostess Twinkies. I can't resist that moist sponge cake and creamy filling. Here he comes. Mmm, I've been around for 2,000 years, and I've never tasted anything so good. And while he's eating the Twinkies, Batman and Robin roll the rock away from the cave, and rescue the professor and his beautiful daughter. And the professor goes, now is our chance to escape. Let's go. Gee, thanks, Batman and Robin. And for these delicious hostess Twinkies. Mmm. You get a big delight in every bite of hostess Twinkies. That's actually a pretty, uh, pretty cool looking ad. The art looks to be Dick Giordano, so it, do it looks like Neil Adams but it reads like Adam West. So, take it how you want. Next up, we've got the Electro Man ad, which, of course, has some terrible art and is all about Electro Man trying to sell you on the Cleveland Institute of Electronics. And it looks terrible. Which I've said before, but I'm going to say it again. It sucks. Uh, next up is the is another bodybuilding ad because we haven't seen enough of those in comics. Uh, next ad is for another, is for a high school diploma ad. We've seen that before. The next page is a hodgepodge ad where you can get cool things like Lincoln Head pennies, x-ray specs, karate classes, super muscles, live seahorses, and fake sideburns and goatees. Because I'm sure that would look real. The next ad page is a two-page splash ad. Um, the top half of it, well, actually the top two-thirds of it, is 
for the DC Limited Collector's Edition, The Most Spectacular Stories Ever Told from the Bible, including Noah's Ark, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, The Story of Creation, The Tower of Babel, Sodom and Gomorrah, and more. Only the great Sheldon Mayer could write this script. Only the sensational Joe Kubert could draw this the cover, edit the script, and make the layouts. And only the creative genius of Nestor Redondo could do the artwork, as it has never been done before. So I'm guessing he didn't use pencil on paper. Yeah. But that looks interesting. Apparently it took two years of research and planning. Nothing from the... Doesn't appear any of it is from the uh, newer testament part. Huh. Anyway, and then the bottom third is the famous first edition treasury-sized reprint of All-Star Comics number three, the first appearance of the Justice Society of America. And you can get both of these books for a measly dollar fifty each, or three dollars. Pretty amazing. Technically, uh, 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 let me clarify. Technically, both books are a dollar, but because it's the mailing mail order thing, they're charging an extra fifty cents for shipping, or postage and handling. Sorry. The next page is a single page ad for the other Treasury Edition books, including the famous first edition reprint of Action Comics One, ba uh, Detective Comics Twenty Seven. Wiz Comics number one, and Sensational or Sensation Comics number one. Of course, Action was Superman's first appearance. Detectives twenty-seven was Batman's first appearance. Wiz number one was Captain Marvel, and Sensation number one was Wonder Woman. There's also a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Treasury book. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. There's another famous first edition. Two more actually. Wow, they just didn't put them together in the ad. Uh, Batman number one, and Wonder Woman number one which is where those two characters finally got their own titles. Uh, there's two collector's edition treasury cole treasury size collections of, for the Shazam series. There's one featuring Superman, one featuring Batman, one featuring Christmas with the superheroes, and one featuring Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So that's pretty cool. Uh, then... Uh, we get into the Green Lantern backup feature, but since this isn't a Green Lantern podcast, we're not going to worry about that. Um, although I have to admit, the art looks pretty good here. But mostly, I'm guessing, because of Dick Giordano on inks, because it's Dick Dillon, and I'm not a huge fan of Dick Dillon. Anyway, uh, the next ad page, the top half is all about how to, how to train to be a veterinary assistant, and the bottom half is all about drafting kits. The next page, the top half, is about selling... Uh, metal social security plates which doesn't seem legal and the bottom half is for superhero stick-ons which look like uh, look like giant stickers you can put on the wall but they feature your favorite superheroes as drawn from the comics like a Gil Kane Green Lantern a, a Swanderson Superman actually there's two of those a a flash that is either Murphy Anderson by himself or is a Carmine Infantino Murphy Anderson collaboration. Could also be a Kurt Swan Murphy Anderson collaboration. It's hard to tell. It's kind of small. Uh, a Batman and Robin collabor uh, 
image that looks like it's a Kurt Swan and someone inked it collaboration. Green Arrow, can't tell who drew that. That doesn't look like Neil Adams to me. Uh, Batman very much by Neil Adams. And Aquaman, a Supergirl, and a Wonder Woman. So those are, oh, and a Hawkman. But that's too small, I can't tell who drew that. Uh, moving right along, the next ad page is for the Writer Technical Institute. Climb the big rig ladder with writer training so you can be a big rig driver. And use your school CB radios. The next page, the top half is a hodgepodge ad for several little items like the uh, atom pistol, the magic brain calculator, snowstorm tablets, potato gun, that kind of thing. And the bottom half is how to learn to be a motorcycle mechanic. Because, man, they really think that these people that read these don't even get out of their house. You can train at home to be not only a, a veterinary assistant and a motorcycle mechanic. Wow. The next is for four books on sale new from DC this month. Uh, featuring, we have the Joker number one, which is, makes him the first supervillain to get his own book from DC. Uh, Justice Inc. number one by, uh, by the creator of Doc Savage. The Claw number one which is the first DC issue. And Ghost Castle, its first issue. And also be on the watch for Beowulf Dragon Slayer and Richard Dragon Kung Fu Fighter. Because in 1975, everybody was Kung Fu Fighting. <gasps> oh, that's terrible. I hope I remember to fix that. Uh, the next is another full-page ad on its side. Same ad that they've had in these books since like the 40s. Top half is for uh, army soldiers fighting with tanks and jeeps and guns. And the bottom half is a naval battle with fighting ships and airplanes. So yeah. And then the back cover... Or I'm sorry, the inside back cover is prizes or cash for selling... Uh, what are you selling here? The cards. And you get those prizes, as I've mentioned many a time before, like a radio, a camera, a remote control airplane, a bugle. Mm. Oh, and of course, the Snoopy radio. And then the back, uh, the back page is from a different company trying to get you to do the same thing. Also, you can get prizes. Who'd have thought? cassette tape recorder, a complete archery set, basketball and a goal, an instant load camera, etc, etc. And that's it for that. Next up, we're going to take a look at Elsewhere in the DC Multiverse this month. And we're going to just look at the superhero books. Um, as I did mention before, there is the Ghost Castle number one. Uh, the Joker, number one. Commandy, the last boy on Earth, number 29, looks interesting. It's got a Superman costume on it. So I wonder what's going on there. That's kind of cool. Uh, there's Tor, number one. There is Justice League of America, eight, uh, 118, which features the Flash, of course. 
And let's see, what is that? Take and the Earth is under the takeover of the Earth Masters, where it looks like the Justice League has been injured in battle and losing to these Taskmasters. You see Aquaman in a wheelchair, Flash is all kinds of beat up and covered in bandages and laying on the ground. Looks like Black Canary's had something happen to her leg because she's using a crutch. Superman seems beleaguered or tired or something I can't tell and Red Tornado has got wires exposed and his arms falling off. It's terrible. So I can only have I can only wonder what happens there because I haven't read that one. OMAC number five came out, which has a really cool Jack Kirby cover of old people walking into a machine and coming out as young people. Wish it had a background of some kind though. Batman number 263 has the Batman taking on the Riddler. Uh, World's Finest number 230 has the sons of Batman and Superman, or the Super Sons, I guess you could call them. Batman Jr. and Superman Jr. Superman number 287 featuring Superman and Crypto. Although on the cover it looks like he's never seen him before, so that's kind of weird. Uh, then, of course, we've got that Claw, the Unconquered, number one, and Justice Incorporated, number one. Power of... not Power of Shazam. Wow, that's in the 90s. Shazam, number 18. Features Shazam saving the celebrated talking frog of Blackstone Forest. I like to think he kind of reminds me of the uh, Warner Brothers frog that they used in the 90s and was in a commercial or was in one or two shorts back in the I guess the 60s probably but yeah Jefferson J. Frog I think his name is uh, you know hello my baby hello anyway I'm not going to sing Detective Comics number 447 has the has features Batman versus the Creeper um, Action Comics number 447 features Superman in a story entitled The Man Who Created Superman, which sounds pretty interesting. I can only imagine what that's like. And Adventure Comics number 439 f featuring a, a uh, featuring a tale starring the Spectre as drawn by Jim Aparo, which has a pretty moody-looking cover with really... No, hardly any cover copy at all. It's almost old school. It's kind of cool. And that's it for my section of the show. Um, and for our backup feature, our resident speedster, J. David Weeder, presents yet another exciting adventure of Kid Flash and the Teen Titans in the Bronze Age. Welcome back to Kid Flash in the Bronze Age. I am J. David Weeder, following the adventures of Barry Allen's sidekick and his adventures with those crazy teen sidekick kids, the Teen Titans. This time around, we're looking at Teen Titans number 31, cover dated February of 1971. This has a Nick Carty cover, 
which shows the roster on the left-hand side, of course, but the main image, we have Wonder Girl collapsed on some steps as our yellow-clad hero is being held by a burly young man as another is punching him. And Wally is calling out to Donna, I, I can't, Wonder Girl, I can't fight back. What goes on here? Why do we have a lot of love-not-war protesters looking angry? Well, let's jump into our story entitled, The Order is to Destroy, and find out. Our story was written by Steve Skeets, penciled by George Tuska, inked by Nick Peter Carty, okay, Nick Carty as we know him. The tale opens where a young man with a very styling mustache, and I mean like pure porn movie mustache, I mean it would make Tom Selleck blush. But our mustache man, and we're going to find out his name later, is sitting in the waiting room of one Dr. Pauling, the university psychologist. And the young man overhears some talk within the office where a student talks about having trouble concentrating. And the doctor decides that a minor brain operation will help. Well, our little man, Tony Stark Light, decides to get the heck out of Dodge, canceling his appointment, just getting back to campus life. And that's when he notes that, well, all of the students seem to be in the, some kind of trance. Suddenly, we jump to the title page, which is a few weeks ahead, with Kid Flash, Donna Troy, Speedy, Mal Duncan, and Lilith running away from an angry crowd, and for some reason, only Donna is in civvies. Well, Lilith too, but who, who cares about Lilith? And then we flash back to weeks after Mustache Man's revelations, but before the title page, where our hero, Mr. Wally West, is heading for Alfred University with his uncle Ira West. Wally wants to check out the campus, but as soon as he sets foot on the campus, he finds an angry mob of people ganging up on our follically enhanced friend from the beginning of, this, of the book. Wally fires up his flash ring and slips into the yellow and red costume, whisking to the rescue of the mob victim and whisking that glorious mustache away. The young man, whose name is Johnny Adler, tells Kid Flash to take him to a shack in the hills where he's been hiding. The only reason that Johnny left the shack was because he ran out of food and Johnny catches Wally up to speed. After overhearing Dr. Pauling talking about the brain operation where we walked in, the reception and receptionist tipped the shrink off, and the campus was suddenly hunting Adler down. Wally wants to know why Adler stays and doesn't go somewhere and get help, which is kind of a valid question, I would think. But the only way out is to pass through campus. He's essentially a prisoner. So Kid Flash does Johnny a solid and retrieves some food for him from the grocery store, bringing it back to him. Wait, Wally didn't just get the guy off campus at super speed? I mean, he can move fast enough not to be seen. He didn't even go to retrieve help from the local authorities? No. He got Adler some Raisin Bran and milk and called in the Teen Titans. And the Titans return the next day and walk across campus in their civilian gear, observing the weird behavior. But the Titans, in turn, are observed by Dr. Pauling and the acting president of the college. There's a bit of tension, you know, with the whole illegal brain surgery without a medical license thing, all of that. I, I don't know what the big deal is. I, I do brain surgeries all the time. On myself. But that's neither here nor there. The two of them, them see the Titans heading up the hill to Adler's cabin and surmise that the teens must have been called by that troublemaker Adler. This takes us to Chapter 2, One Week Link, where the Titans, now in costume, find Johnny gone and his cabin ransacked. Ah, oh, his Raisin Bram. Putting together that Pauling's drone people must have found him, the Titans switch back to civilian gear and head back to campus, where orders are given over a loudspeaker to attack the five of them. 
every student on campus attacks, forcing the Titans to find non-harmful ways to defend themselves as John Johnny Adler... <gasps> now, Sans Mustache. No! How can you shave off such a work of art? How? Why? I hate mind control. I hate it. This This is the price we pay. Sad face. But now, without his mustache, Johnny is able to fight against his brainwashing and struggles to get to the administration building to Pauling. As Johnny makes his way to the office and fights Pauling, the Titans continue to be overrun. But Adler overpowers Pauling and forces him to give the order to stop fighting. But, losing consciousness with his struggle, Adler falls, but as he does so, he grabs wires on the speaker machine, which ends the danger. So the police are able to come and arrest Pauling and the university president, as Donna says that Adler's ability to end the fight shows the resiliency of the human spirit. If Adler was able to fight back, if that possibility exists, then why didn't the others find out Wally wonders? Is the will of the majority that weak? Kill, kill, kill. Um, I would like to kill, see if that, I mean, that's an interesting test, that's an interesting question. We're left with that to a kind of kill, 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 kind of ponder as the issue ends, and it promises that next issue will give us an adventure to stagger the ima imagination, kill. Well, now, wait a minute. Where were the hippies from the cover? They were promised on the cover, but no, no hippies. Well, crap. They're not even in the Hawk and Dove backup feature. I'm so mad. I'm so mad at this issue. No hippies, and Adler shaved his mustache. So here, here's the question that I'm left with. Not so much all that stuff about the willpower of average people. I don't want to get that deep. I'm a simple man. But if Adler was such, such a strong-willed person... Why did he shave his mustache? See, there's the lesson. There's the thing. The Titans didn't win this day. The mustache is gone. But I guess as a as a bit of a consolation prize, Wally looked awesome, and he was the center of the story, and it all rested on his shoulders, but actually we barely saw him use his speed, nor was he in costume very long. And would it have killed Speedy to kick out a boxing glove arrow for me? Sorry, but beyond just a, a bit of coolness with Kid Flash, this was a really bad after-school special. I mean, feel free to leave this one in the quarter bin if you, comes, if you come across it. But that brings us to the end of the Gil segment. So until next time, keep on running, Gil. I wonder if the subliminal messages work. Thanks, Dave. Next time on another exciting episode of Flash in the Bronze Age, Flash dies. And no, we aren't jumping ahead to the crisis. All will be revealed next time. That's a Flash fact. You've been listening to Flash in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. The home of the show is at some website I can't be bothered to mention. There you will find show postings, links to the RSS and iTunes feeds, and more. You can also find the show on Facebook, where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted, and on Stitcher Smart Radio. Flash in the Bronze Age is also a proud member of the Flash Podcast Network, which can be found at www.aprilfools.com 
where you will find postings for this show as well as many other Flash-related podcasts. Flash and all related characters are copyright DC Comics. Thank you for listening, and God bless. listen to our show on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Blackberry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio.